Good morning, church. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for participating in our worship this morning. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, you, you are loved and your presence means the world to all of us. You are an encouragement uh, to us. I'm excited to start this new, this new series, Christianity on Trial. We're continuing to follow Paul on his journeys and watch his life and learn from his Example, But before we, we talk about this series and, and this idea of Christianity on trial, I, I think it's important for us, before we make application to our own life, I think it's important for us to say our lives aren't on trial the way that Paul's life was on trial. We live in a country, we live in a culture that's not, that's not, anti-Christian. We don't face widespread persecution of our faith, even though it may feel that way sometimes to some of you. It may feel that way because you may have people in your life personally, people that you love dearly, who are, are critical or skeptical of your Christian faith. You, you may go to school in an environment that you feel is hostile towards you and towards the Christian faith. You may work in a workplace that's hostile towards your faith, your Christian faith. You, you may even be in a family. Your home life may even be hostile towards you, towards your Christian faith. And so you very much may feel like, and you very much may be on trial. You may have people in your life who are misunderstanding you. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you think that? Why do you hold to those, those views and those perspectives? You may have people that misrepresent you, sort of twist your words and, and, and make it sound like you believe something that you don't or that you're saying something that you're not really saying. And so this very well may be very relevant for you. And even if it's not relevant right now at this moment in your life, it's very possible that in the next few months or years or decades... This very well may be relevant for you in a particular way because in every era, in every era of, of the church, Christians have faced those who are opposed to Christianity, opposed to the way of Jesus, who misunderstand, misrepresent, mischaracterize, mistreat those who are followers of Jesus. And so we, we constantly have to remind ourselves, how do we navigate this? How do we navigate this? Whether it's widespread or it's more localized or it's maybe just your family or, or just your workplace or just your school or it becomes widespread. How do, we, how do we navigate this? Every Christian, every Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then it is your responsibility to ask yourself, how do I represent Christianity well? It's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to ask myself and to know the answer to how do I represent Christianity well? When I'm misunderstood, when I'm mischaracterized, when my words are twisted and I'm misrepresented, when people mistreat me, how do I continue 
to represent Christianity well. Because in, in, in very real terms, that, that we are on trial together, right? And I'm depending on you representing Christianity well. You're depending on me representing Christianity well. Together, we all have to represent Christianity well. Especially when there are those who are critical when there's those who are skeptical, when there are those who are misunderstanding what we're trying to do and who we're trying to be. A passage that I want us to think about even before we examine the life of Paul is 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And Peter, Peter understood what it was to face persecution. Peter understood what it was to, to deal with people who didn't like him following Jesus people that misunderstood him, people that mistreated him. And he was writing to Christians who were beginning to face this. And they were asking questions maybe similar to what you're asking. How do I, how do I navigate this well? How do I represent Jesus well? How do I represent Jesus well when my family doesn't follow Jesus? How do I represent Jesus well when my workplace or when my school or when my community or when whoever is, is hostile towards me? Here's what Peter says. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and, what's the next word? Respect. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now notice Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared to give a reason, to explain with words, to explain why you have this hope within you. Particularly, he says, when people ask, a reason for the hope that's within you. And the context says that when they're asking, they're probably not like, oh, I want some of that. I want some of that hope you've got. And give me some of that hope. They're, they're saying, why? why do you have this hope? Why do you have this faith? Why do you believe what you believe? The context is that they're asking this skeptically. They're asking, asking this cynically. They're asking this in an accusatory kind of way. And you need to be prepared. He's not just writing to elders or deacons or ministers. He's writing to every follower of Jesus saying you need to be prepared to explain, to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yet, yet, do it with gentleness and respect. It doesn't matter how well you can articulate your faith. It doesn't matter how strong your arguments are. It doesn't matter how logical you may be. It doesn't matter how reasonable you may be. If you don't do it with gentleness and respect, it means nothing. You are not representing Christianity well if you put forth a defense, but you don't do it with gentleness and respect. Let me say that one more time. You are not representing Christianity well if you give a defense 
for what you believe, but you don't do it with gentleness and respect. When people accuse you, when people mistreat you, when people misunderstand you, yes, you need to be prepared to explain, here's why I believe what I believe. And we'll talk more about that in this series. But Peter says, and Paul will show us with his life, how you do that with gentleness and respect. And in this context, gentleness towards and respect for the people who are accusing you. Gentleness towards and respect for the people who hate you. Gentleness towards and respect for the people who say all kinds of things against you. Show gentleness towards them. Show respect for them. And we're going to look at what that looks like in action. We're going to look at Paul's life and see what that looks like when someone lives that out. Look at Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Now we've been following Paul on his missionary journeys and he's gone to Jerusalem and he knows. He knows because the Spirit of God has told him. He knows because prophets have told him, I'm in trouble when I get to Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to die. But I, I know that I'm going to be persecuted there. He knows. He knows that something bad is going to happen. Something harmful, hurtful is going to happen in Jerusalem. And he's prepared to face it, whatever it may be. But he shows up. Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Luke writes, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul explains to them, look at all the good stuff God has been doing in bringing the nations, every ethnic group, to Jesus. And he explains it, but not only is he explaining it, if we read the whole context, we'd see that he brought some of those Gentiles with him. He, he brought them with him to Jerusalem. And not only did he bring Gentiles with him and this message about the good work that God was doing with the Gentile community, but also gifts from the Gentile churches. Gifts from the Gentile churches to the church at Jerusalem. Why? Because this was Paul's passion. This was Paul's mission. This was the mission of Jesus that Paul had been recruited to. To bring together Jews and Gentiles. To keep tearing down walls between ethnic groups. To watch Jesus and participate with Jesus as he unified his multi-ethnic family. Paul is all about that. And so he's come not only to tell them about, hey, you got a lot of Gentile brothers and sisters out there, but to bring some of those brothers and sisters with him and to bring gifts from them to support the church in Jerusalem who had struggled so much financially. Look at verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God, the, the elders at the church in Jerusalem. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So now the elders at the church in Jerusalem are telling Paul, now we're glad you're here. <laughs> 
And we're glad God has done such great things through you and with you and in you. That's great. It's wonderful. We're praising God for all of these things. But we've got a very difficult situation here. And we also need to recognize what was going on in Jerusalem about this time. We're only a few years away from the beginning of the zealots starting this war with Rome. So there is a lot of anti-Gentile sentiment in Jerusalem. There's a very strong sentiment of we don't want foreigners here. We don't want Gentile influence here. And that idea and that way of thinking had even seeped into the church. And so the, James and the elders are saying, listen, we're, we're glad that out there, outside Jerusalem, all these Gentiles are coming to Jesus, but, but now here we, we've got this situation where there's a, also a lot of Jewish Christians, a lot of Jewish people who have become followers of Jesus, and not only have they become followers of Jesus, they've heard rumors about you, Paul. And the rumors say that you tell Jewish believers out there, out there in the, in the diaspora, out there in the dispersion, you, you're telling Jewish people to forsake the law of Moses. And they hear rumors that you're telling Jewish people not to circumcise their children. And they hear rumors that you're telling Gentile or Jewish people not to observe our customs. They've heard all of these rumors about you. Now, those things aren't true. Right? Those things aren't true. They're rumors. Paul is being misrepresented. He's being mischaracterized. He has enemies both on the outside of the church and inside the church who are stirring up all kinds of, all kinds of rumors about him. So James asks in verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So James is saying, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place here. On the one hand, they don't want to reject Paul. They don't want to say, hey, you're not welcome here, because they know that wouldn't be right. They also don't want to alienate the, their Jewish brothers and sisters, those who have come to Jesus. They also don't want to stir up trouble with the non-Christian Jewish people in the community. So this is very difficult. Paul is not a popular person. He's, he's misunderstood. He's mischaracterized. People have twisted his words and they want to embrace him as their brother. They're excited about the things God has done through him. But all of these rumors make it very difficult. How, how, do we, how do we build a bridge here? How do we all come to the table here? How do we seek unity here? How do we keep from lighting a, a fuse that's going to make this whole thing explode? So here's the suggestion, verse 23. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Now, James suggests two things. One is that you purify yourself, which is probably like a seven-day purification ritual. So you go up to the temple, purify yourself, and remain ceremonially pure for seven days. So you go through that ritual, which was pretty customary when you've been traveling out in the Gentile world, come back to Jerusalem and purify yourself. And so they said, you purify yourself. And then also, we have these four men who are under a vow, probably a Nazarite vow, and, and their, their vow is coming to an end, and you pay their expenses, which meant this. When, when you took a Nazarite vow, you, you didn't, probably about a month, so you didn't cut your hair, you, you remained ritually pure, um, you let your hair grow out, and then when the vow ended, you would shave your hair off, and you would burn your hair as an offering, 
but you would also offer to God a pretty expensive set of offerings, a male lamb, a female lamb, a ram, a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, a grain offering, and drink offerings. And so James says, not only do you go with these men up to the temple, but you also pay for all of those offerings. You also pay their expenses for their offerings so that people will know that these rumors aren't true. Now, this is, this is a big ask, isn't it? This is a big ask that the church of Jerusalem is asking Paul to do, but it's right in line with everything Paul tried to do anyway. Remember what he said to the Corinthian church? He said, I become all things to all people. To, to those under the law, I become as one under the law. To Jews, I become like the Jews. And to those who are not under the law, I become as one not under the law. I do all of this so that by all means, some of them might be saved. This was the way Paul operated anyway. Pay my money, okay. Purify myself, that's fine. And, and, and I want us to recognize, too, that this isn't hypocrisy. Paul isn't just putting on a show. Back in Acts chapter 18, Paul had taken a very similar vow. Paul had taken a very similar vow. So, so this wasn't just a show. These customs were incredibly important to Paul. These practices, these, these rituals, this being Jewish, Paul was very Jewish. He didn't stop being Jewish just because he started following Jesus. These were his people. These were his customs. He loved his people, and he loved Jesus. And he wanted to see these people love Jesus just like he did. And he also wanted to see these Jewish Christians love their Gentile brothers and sisters the way that he did. And so Paul was willing to go to incredible lengths to respect everybody, to show respect for everybody's customs and culture, to build bridges and to tear down walls. So if it costs me money, fine. If I have to, if I have to humble myself and do this, fine. Because Paul was willing to do whatever it takes to seek unity and to seek the salvation of everyone, including showing love and respect to people who misunderstood him. Showing love and respect towards people who disrespected him. To show love and respect towards people who mischaracterized him. He was willing to show love and respect because that was the way of Jesus. Look at verse 25. And James says, but as for the Gentiles, just to make this clear, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So in other words, the, the letter that we sent out, we're not going back on that. If you're a Gentile, you're not, you're not Jewish and you become a follower of Jesus, there's no reason for you to observe these Jewish customs and rituals. There's no reason for them to be circumcised. But, but Paul is Jewish and they think for the sake of unity and for the sake of truth that, that this would be good for the church. Verse 26, so Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he begins his own purification and says, okay, at the end of these seven days, then my purification will be finished and these offerings will be presented and Paul was going to be paying for all of that. And then it says in verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, probably Ephesus, 
seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brings Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. They accused him of teaching against the Jewish people, teaching against the law, teaching against the temple. They accused him of defiling the temple. Of course, none of these things were true. Isn't that interesting? And Paul's in the, in the very act of showing respect and love and in doing what, what was expected of him. In, in, in going through all of these rituals, he, he's doing everything he can. He's bending over backwards, but still he's misunderstood. And still he's accused, and still he's criticized. And still his, his words and his actions are twisted against him, and still they hate his guts. It says in verse 29, For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed, wrongly, that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So now the Romans see that a riot has started. Verse 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And from this point in the story until the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in chains. Paul's been arrested and he will stay arrested until the end of the book of Acts. And, and as I was preparing this lesson, I was like, is that really where we want to stop? We just stop there? Paul got arrested. Paul bent over backwards to show respect he bent over backwards not to be misunderstood. He, he bent over backwards to show love and gentleness and kindness even towards people who mischaracterized him and misunderstood him and accused him. And yet he was arrested. They tried to kill him anyway. And so some people would read this story and say, see, why show gentleness and respect? See, Paul lost. See, it didn't work. He lost. He showed gentleness, he showed respect, he showed kindness, he went out of his way to, to sort of build bridges, and it didn't work. They hated him anyway. But that's, that's the mind of the flesh. That's the way people talk. That's not the mind of God. After all, Paul was really following the example of Jesus, wasn't he? He was following the example of Jesus when he went to Jerusalem. He was following the example of Jesus when he showed kindness and respect to those who hated him. He was following the example of Jesus. Peter says about Jesus, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Jesus was arrested anyway. Jesus was beaten anyway. Jesus was murdered anyway. Did Jesus fail? Let me ask one more time. Did Jesus fail? No. Did Jesus lose? No. Did Paul fail? No. Did Paul lose? No. It did work. It worked not from a human perspective, not from a human standpoint, but the way of Jesus always works. 
Oh, it doesn't always work to get people on your side, but that's not the point. In fact, we could say it this way, showing gentleness and respect to our opponents is not about their approval, but about the approval of Jesus. Showing gentleness and respect to our opponents, to those who mischaracterize us or misrepresent us or twist our words, showing gentleness and respect to them is not about winning their approval. It's not about whether or not they approve of us. It's whether or not Jesus approves of us. These people in Jerusalem weren't pleased with what Paul did. But Jesus was. Jesus was pleased. And and there may be times in your life where somebody is critical towards you because of your faith. And people accuse you because of your faith. And people disrespect you and don't love you and aren't kind towards you. And then you show them kindness anyway. You show them gentleness anyway. You respect them anyway. You bend over backwards to build tables and bridges instead of walls. And there may be times where they say, you know what, I was wrong about you. And I know stories like that, and you probably know stories like that. You may have experienced that, where showing love and kindness towards your opponent changes them. But that's not what always happens. And so that's not the stories we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the stories that Scripture gives us. That says sometimes, sometimes, yes, when you're kind towards people, they'll be kind to you. But sometimes they'll hate your guts anyway. But showing gentleness and respect towards them is not about their approval. It's about the approval of Jesus. We we do this. We do this. This is how we represent Jesus. This is how we defend Christianity with gentleness and respect. Not because it quote unquote works, but because it's right. Because it is the way of Jesus. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. It doesn't matter how persuasive your arguments are. It doesn't matter how well you can argue. If you don't show gentleness and respect, it means nothing. This is the way we represent Christianity well. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect, listen, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Respect, regardless of the response. Respect, regardless of the response. Love, regardless of the response. Be gentle, regardless of the response. People say, well, it doesn't work. Yes, it does. If your goal is to please Jesus, Jesus is always pleased when you love those who hate you. Jesus is always pleased when you show respect towards those who disrespect you. Jesus is always pleased when you show gentleness towards those who are harsh with you. Not because it always works at getting them on your side, but because this is the way of Jesus. And this is what we signed up for, isn't it? Whether we knew it or not, when we were baptized into Jesus, this is the life to which we were committing. We were saying, I'm dead to me, and I'm dead 
to doing things like the world does. I'm dead to winning like the world tries to win. I'm, I'm dead to trying to succeed the way the world tries to succeed. I'm dead to trying to be great the way the world tries to be great. And now from this point on, I'm going to do things like Jesus. And when we were baptized, we were buried with him, united with him, and raised up to victory. To victory. That no matter what the response is, we win. Even though they hated Paul, he won. Even though they beat Paul, he won. Even though eventually they would behead Paul, he won. Because Jesus won. And when you do things like Jesus, when you follow Jesus, you win. No matter what culture does, no matter what family does, no matter what your workplace does, no matter what your school does, no matter what your friends do, you win when you follow Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you're ready to start following Jesus, or you're ready to come back to Jesus and recommit your life to him. Maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. Our shepherds are here for you. They would love to meet with you in the prayer room after worship, or right now, your whole church family is here for you. You can come forward as together we stand and sing.